Welcome to Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Uh, you know, we, we love doing this uh, most every week, Bubba. You know, remember you and I used to make fun of podcasts? And, yeah. And, and, oh, yeah. And then one day, I still do. And one day it got us. <laughs> and uh, so the, the podcast world. got bit by the podcast. So we our guest today has been a friend of ours for many, many years. Uh, we reference him often on the show. But uh, as uh, you know, we have different pitches that we, we throw. And one of them is getting into the people that you hear about on the show. Sometimes it's family. Sometimes it's friends, and today uh, we are excited to have friend of the show, Rich Wingo, on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Rich, here it is. Rich. What an honor. I mean, <laughs> Rich, do this. Check these things off the off, off the list. Did the Rick and Bubba University podcast. <laughs> Done it. Done. This is awesome. Yeah, well, thanks for being here. Um, we have a lot to talk about today, and I know some of it um, you tried to sidestep. You know, you're you're one of these people that, you know, the whole football thing with you, make, you know, hey, we don't talk about that. But, I mean, it, it, there's some very funny stories, but there's also some very, very moving stories where we're going to take some of the things in your life, and we're unpacking it all today. We're, I mean, we're, we're going to – by the we time – We're to start with your little league team. Yeah, How did that yeah, go? Yeah. All right. Let's, 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 let's go to, to Indiana, oh, Elkhart, uh, the junior league team. No. No, so a couple of things. You are from Indiana, and, yeah. and we've worked through that. Yeah. And, uh, and you've uh, decided to, uh, many years ago to live in Alabama, mm-hmm. which, which is good. Uh, we met you through Tommy Wilcox, mm. correct? Yes. Gator? You mean Gator? Yeah. Don't I have that right? Because uh, I, re- I think so. I remember the phone call. I could not understand what yeah. Tommy was saying. Yeah. Uh, Said something about a deer. Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, Rick, <laughs> once you get down to Rich, you know, he says, Rich, let's go down to Rich Wingo's and shoot some of them in Diaz. And I said, Where, what are we going to do at Wingo's? Uh, go out and get some of them in Diaz. And I said, Rich, I, and I said, Tommy, I don't know what you're saying. Tommy's a character. Yeah, and so our, our love him. He's a character. He yeah, and, uh, and and always fun. And we met each other, and we all went down to your place and hunted. I can't imagine how Tommy talked you into that. Looking back, <laughs> but I think maybe your those wa- are great times. Yeah, maybe your wife helped because she's actually been a listener of the show long before oh, you. Yeah. yeah, and and so maybe Sherry she told you. you she, yeah. Maybe she told you it's okay, let them come. Or I don't know how no, it worked, but no. but anyway, so we we became friends then and have been friends ever since. So, but you played uh, for the University of Alabama for legendary football coach Paul Bear Bryant. I did, and then you went to play in the NFL for the Green Bay Packers. Wow, the pack this year uh, look, looking really good. I was a childhood Packer fan uh, because, and one of the reasons was this. If you lived in the state of Alabama, it was bizarre to see how many Packer fans you saw. But and, and I didn't know as a kid. I just knew that on Christmas morning I woke up and had a Packers uniform, so I became a Packers fan. You know the plastic helmet and yeah. all that. Yeah. And and to f- come to find out, Alabamians, it's so weird they would pull for a team from Green Bay, Wisconsin, because so many former Alabama players, you know, you, of course Bart Starr, the most famous, uh, went to play for the Packers. Well, Don Hudson. Yeah. They named their practice facility yeah big huge don hudson sign i mean there's a ton of alabama i had five or six guys every year from alabama when i played there yeah so there, there was a real pop line it seemed like to mm-hmm. green bay and to the jets for a yeah, while yeah you're right so. exactly mm-hmm. so you uh we'll, we'll, we'll get into that and we'll talk about that that because uh, uh it, it's a big moment in your life not not from just from a football standpoint but from a spiritual standpoint um and so but but take us there's there's a there's a really really famous story in, in your life, in your testimony uh, about you playing for Paul Bear Bryant and a lot of football fans out there, if you are a football fan, the, the famous goal line stand against Penn State. Rich was on that defense, and uh, you have to really look close to find him in the portrait. But but he's 
<laughs> I was trying to get out of the way. Yeah, I still, my dad, you know, because I know, I know my dad loves you and you love my dad. My dad, being a football coach, has the only person that will ever bring up, and I want to see if he has this right, and it may not be, God love him, he may not have it right, but I remember he used to always say this when you and I first met. He said, the goal line stand is everybody remembers. But what they don't forget is there's no goal line stand if there's no stop on third down. There you go. And he said, Rich Wingo, I love made, your dad. Rich Wingo made the tackle on, <laughs> third, that, on third down, and that's why I love 36 because he made the tackle uh, on third down. Let, let me let me back it up one more <laughs> step, Rick, yeah. to start this. Tell us about how you got recruited. Yeah, how'd you University end up at Alabama? Alabama? Yeah. How did how did that happen? Oh. Alabama. And, and how many stars do you have? Yeah, yeah, they didn't have that, that system back then. <laughs> right. Coach Bryant thought a lot of my high school coach. Now, all the way from Elkhart, Indiana, northern Indiana, right on the Michigan line, there was a player, a guy named Mike Stock, a tremendous athlete from Elkhart that came to Alabama three years prior. So they had that pipe, they had mm-hmm. that that relationship, and and so Alabama had recruited me. I just thought it was too far from home, but uh, everybody just anticipated I'd go to Notre Dame because it's twenty minutes from my back door. And I had uh, committed to Notre Dame, and I told my dad on a Sunday afternoon. I came home from my official visit, and I sat on the piano bench in our living room. We lived in a farmhouse, and I said, Dad, I'm going to go to Alabama. And he said, Rich, it's a great school. He said, and you'll get a great education, but I don't want to see you come through that back door until Christmas. Because <laughs> mm. <laughs> and, and, when he left high school, he went and fought in the South, South Pacific. Yeah. <laughs> and so he wanted me to grow up. He right. really didn't want me to go to Notre Dame. He never said that. He Too just, close to home for him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he wanted me to move on. So so I, how was that, calling Notre Dame to say no thanks? Well, now, who, was, who was the coach then? Era. Era, era yeah, Percy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and it was, they were our big nemesis right. during uh, the 70s. We lost a couple of national championships to those guys. But uh, anyways, so I called. I told my high school coach I'd like to visit Alabama, who had, had recruited me. And one thing led to another, and that's how I got here. So you go to Alabama, and, and we joke about this all the time. And, and we're not going to be a bunch of old guys that are saying, hey, the young guys today. But there's some truth to that. Now, are they better athletes than, than like my dad would say, when he played when you played and when I played? Yes. But there's, they could – if these coaches were coaching today – Well, they couldn't. They couldn't. Yeah. I mean, it would be an yeah. outcry. So you get to Alabama, yeah. and Coach Bryan and his staff were not exactly easy guys. They could care less about me. <laughs> they had ten other guys that could do exactly what I did. You know. Yeah, yeah. But you you ended up um, you know working your way into the starting lineup, which is an accomplishment in and of itself. And and we we talk about this a lot in in our own lives. There's certain people that are placed in your life that want to make sure that you're. You've talked about it today on the show of being satisfied with where you are. Yeah. Hey, I made it. I'm here. I'm good. Mm. And, uh, and and you and you want to have those people in your life. So when we come back, we're, we're going to talk about this story that when you hear it, and I can only imagine being in your position and trying to figure out what this coach is doing, you know, and, uh, of course, eventually uh, we come to that realization. So we'll come back. We'll continue to unpack uh, the life of uh, Rich Wingo on this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. All right, so you're at Alabama. You worked your way into the starting lineup. And, you know, I mean, it's not like, I mean, we know you. It's not, you don't seem like the kind of guy that would throw it out of gear. Yeah. But, but see, the, the, the problem with me only seeing myself, if I'm the judge of how I'm doing, 
we're always delusional, right? I mean, oh, yeah. uh, even those of us that have the greatest work ethic, yeah. we still don't see ourselves exactly the way someone else can, which is why you need to allow people to to speak into your life. So, so, so tell us what happened. So it was my junior year, and it was a week before our first game, and we were rated number one in the country, 1977. Had a great team. And I was a starting inside linebacker, and it's warm-ups, and both of you guys have done it, and every high school, college, or pro team, they still do it, where the Coach Bryant would stand right in the middle of stretching, and then as soon as stretching was over with, he would then blow the whistle, and the first offense would get on the 20-yard line. They'd take a snap, and they'd sprint 20 yards through. Immediately, the first defense gets out there. Coach takes a snap. He drops back. Defensive lines raise their hands, and the DBs, linebackers, drop in their hook. That's what we did. So it was just like every other day. So the first offense goes, we first defense goes, and we drop. They throw the ball to somebody. We sprint through. And Coach Bryant, unlike any other time in my years there, he stopped practice and he said, Wingo, do it again. And uh, that was awkward. <laughs> and so, so I got out there by myself. Bill Oliver, brother right. Oliver, was yep. the yep. coach. I'll never forget it. And He's wondering what's going on, too. He take, he says, Hut, and I drop my hook by myself. The whole team's looking at me. I throw the football to me. I sprint through. Coach Bryant says, do it again. He was, he was intense. So I went out there and did it again and dropped in my hook. Coach Oliver threw me the ball. I sprinted through, and he says, now get off my field. And now you're the starting <clears throat> linebacker now for how many seasons? I, as a, Well, my sophomore, and this was going to be my this second. This was your junior year? Yeah. Second yeah. year back. So – you know, I, I mean, every day he just froze. And I turned and I started to run off the field. And this is in warm-ups now. And so I, I look behind me and I, I see all the guys and coaches and they're just frozen. They're just looking at me like, what? What just happened? I go in the locker room, uh, sit down, think, what, what? You know, I didn't even get a sweat going. And I'll never forget TG, our, a trainer, a friend of mine, came in, snuck in from practice. And he said, he said, hey, Rich. He goes, man, do you know you've been kicked off the team? And I said, Yes. He goes, do you, do you know that no one's ever come back from being kicked off this team except for Joe Namath? He said, dude, you ain't no Joe Namath. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, anyways, so I took a shower, went upstairs, waited for Coach Bryant. He came down the hall. I heard they had a great practice, uh, one of the best ever. I bet. Yeah, and uh, he gets right in my face. I'll never forget it. And he, he just says, what do you want? I mean, immediately put me on my heels. And I, I just remember saying what my dad said when I left home. He said that no one's going to fight for Rich Wingo anymore except for Rich Wingo. And I told him that. And I said, I'm here to fight. And so he invited me in his office. He was cordial. Pulled a chair up next to him. And uh, he pulled out one of those Chesterfield non-filtered cigarettes, you know. Gee, mm -hmm. uh, Manish, those unbelievable. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> He'd get it on his tongue, you know. And He'd spit on oh, you. Yeah. And he'd say, he said, listen, Rich, he goes, I think you're a good football player. I think I'm a good football coach. He goes, I'm just not sure I want you on my team. Oh my. Man, he gutted me. I mean, he did. And I'm sitting there, and, and he said, Rich, he said, you see, you're satisfied and you're content uh, with where you're at, and uh, you're just trying to get through. And he goes, and I, I want people around me that are sold out, 100% committed, every day trying to get a little better. He goes, I can take someone less of an athlete, that wants to get a little better every day so I can take that guy and win championships. Put his hand on the telephone, <clears throat> and this is where he just crushed me. He said, he said, Rich, tell me where you want to go to school. 
He goes, uh, one phone call, you'll be there tomorrow. He goes, uh, you want to go home to Notre Dame, Michigan, Ohio State, schools that recruit? He says, just tell me, and you'll be there tomorrow. I mean, I, I couldn't believe wow. that he I was a listen, I was a fourth-year redshirt junior. So, right. I mean, and I looked, I just remember saying, Coach, if I can't play here, I, I'm not going to play for somebody else. This is my family. We've. That's back in the day when we all lived together in the in the Ooh. athletic dorm, oh, Brian yeah. Hall. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, it was family. Do you, was you <clears throat> slacking off? Did you think you were yeah. slacking off? No, I didn't think I was. But when I look back on it, I was. He was exactly right. I, but I was just trying to get through. He spotted something though that you didn't know about yourself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, he was. He was a master at that, and he was willing for me to leave. And I guess he had the attitude: well, if he leaves, we didn't want him anyways. Right. Right. And so. Uh, he, he, he spoke to me for an hour and five minutes and freaked me out and uh, told me that he was going to go home and pray about it, strike one. Mm-hmm. Told me that he was going to go home and talk to Mary Harmon, big strike two. <laughs> Mary Harmon used to look for me like when we'd get off the team buses, she would travel on the first bus. I would never travel on the first bus because Mary Harmon would always try to give me those spiritual tracks, yeah. you know, with the devil and the fire. Right. <laughs> you know, you're going to hell. <laughs> You know, and and she seriously, it's a true story. She she would wait, and I would bend down looking out the window of those buses and see where she she'd be looking for me, (laughs) and she. But I'd have to walk by her because she'd stand right there at the gate going into the locker room, and she'd get that. She wouldn't give them to anybody else, but she'd give them to me. She she was looking for you. She found yeah. Oh man! And so when he said he's going to talk to Mary Harmon, I'm thinking I am gone. (laughs) So, anyways, long story short, I went back to the dorm. Someone suggested be at his parking spot at 5 a.m., so I was the next morning. And what he, time were you supposed to be He there? told me be back here at 9 o'clock. Okay. And so I was waiting for him with his headlights, hit me in the face at Coleman Coliseum. And, you know, he got out of the car mad and told me, you know, I, he said, come on, follow me. And so I thought, this is it. So I followed him up those stairs, closed the door behind me, and he said, mister, if you want to be on this team, we'll pretend like nothing ever happened. He said, it's your choice. If you're at practice, I'll know your answer. If you're not at practice, I'll know your answer. He said, now get out of my office. I got work to do. Yes, sir. So I went to practice thinking I'd be below the, the freshman and uh, starting middle linebacker, just like just like he said. Nothing ever happened. But you know, you guys know as well. Who was the first guy on the field, right? <laughs> it Who, worked. Yeah. A middle linebacker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. worked. Every drill, every rep, because I knew that old man wanted to fire me, and he was watching me. And so I, I gave it everything I had. First guy in the weight room, last guy to leave, first guy in the film room. Not just that day, but the next day, the next day, the next day. And and uh, he was right. And over a period of time, I went from being satisfied and content where I was to being sold out, committed. And uh, I have him to thank for it. So tell us the story about the letter years later. So, I mean, this is crazy. Many years later. Yeah, this is crazy. Um, Sherry and I are moving my parents a couple of years ago, uh, excuse me, probably 10 years ago. Yeah, and I want to clarify this because I noticed this the last men's conference we did together. We're both married to women named Sherry. <laughs> so I was referencing Sherry and you yeah. were referencing Sherry, and I could see this man going, I know they're good friends, but this is over the line. <laughs> so so we both of our wives have the same name. Yeah. They're two different yeah. people. Yeah. yeah, your wife, Sherry. Exactly. Yeah. And so uh, we were cleaning, helping mom and dad pack. Uh, our home, uh, lifelong home. And mom, when I was in a room, mom, I remember came in and she had a stack of letters with a rubber band around them. And she says, Rich, these are yours. I've had these for forever. 
40 years. <laughs> and and they, they were letters that were addressed to mom and dad at our home, but with my name on them. And so mom never opened them. Long story. Uh, went back to Tuscaloosa, put them in a desk uh, in my study, and forgot about them for a handful of years. And one Sunday morning a couple of years ago, I was looking for something, and I found these letters, and I pulled them out, sat on the edge of the couch, I'll never forget it, and just uh, took the rubber band off, started looking through them, and I saw this letter from the University of Alabama. Listen, uh, July 22nd, 1977, like, Bubba, it was four weeks before he kicked me off the team. <laughs> so I opened this up, and I'm thinking, this is awesome. And it, it's a letter. I still got it. I showed Rick. And, and it's, 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 you know, it, it's a form letter, but it's got all the Alabama stuff. Coach Bryant had, you know, they had somebody type it, and, you know, they talked about the, the greatest little word, if, you know, if you're willing to sacrifice. Well, I never, you know, it was good mm-hmm. stuff, just choice stuff. And, and I'm thinking, I've got to give this to, like, the museum or something. This is priceless. I can't wait to tell my sons, you know. And, <laughs> and then I flipped the second page, and at the bottom of the second page is this, is magic marker. And um, it says, uh, Rich, it is late, but you can still be the player predicted, hoping and praying you do. And then it just had a PB in magic marker mm. and Paul Bryant and – so I'm sitting there, so whoa, 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 you know, all that excitement, you know, just kind of went and I read it again and said, it is late, but you can still be the player predicted, meaning you're not. Right. <laughs> it's not that funny. <laughs> and so, and so, well, I keep thinking, yeah. I wish you'd have seen the letter before you got yeah. to the workout set. You're just not going to happen. I, well, the, exactly. But all this, I mean, 40 years later. So he thought you got the letter and didn't change. He thought, yeah. And, 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 and I'm sitting That's there. That's why he was gunning for Yeah. You. I'm sitting on the edge of the couch, and I'm thinking, 40 years later, this old man is still kicking my butt. <laughs> He's still doing it. <laughs> He's killing me. And it was tough. So, anyways. Great. Uh, we'll come back. We'll, we'll jump into the next phase uh, of this. You go into the Green Bay Packers, which, which led uh, to the most important decision that you ever made in your life. Yeah. And we'll talk about that when we come back on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. All right, so keeps.com. Let me look over at Wingo. Well, uh, look, a lot of times people are losing their hair and it's genetic. I mean, and, 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 and so, and there's, I mean, it, and it's just a genetic thing. That's just cruel. No, well, Pick on people that they can't do anything about. Well, that's, just, that's just cruel. But, but well, he's got the answer, though. That's, that's, so oh, so let's think about, let's, let's do these imaginary people, Kyle and Josh. Okay. 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 They're both losing their hair, um, and, and they are not shocked by that because they have that male pattern baldness. Gene that ran in their family, and and you know let's call him Tommy, <laughs> Tommy and Rick. Okay, so but the way they decided to deal with it, two different things. Okay, you know we may both have the same problem, but if we if we do two different things, wouldn't y'all want to do whichever one worked? Hmm. Yeah, so, we would think. So here's what happened. Now Kyle kept putting off getting hair loss treatment. Not good. You don't want to do that. Uh, losing more hair day by day. Now Josh, he went to keeps k e e p s dot com to learn how to keep his hair. Keeps offers the generic version of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products. They're the real deal. The generic version saved Josh a fortune, and all it took was a quick online consultation, you know, and, and, and with the doctor worked it out. He answered a few questions. He snapped a few pics of his hair. The doctor evaluated everything, recommended the right FDA-approved hair loss treatment for Josh. That's important. They shipped it directly and discreetly to his door. 
keeps lets lets you save your hair without ever leaving the couch. And and also that we're going to get you started right here on the Rick and Bubba podcast. We're going to get you half off the first order. That's right. Stop putting this off. Go to keeps.com slash Rick Bubba, keeps.com slash Rick Bubba. That's keeps.com slash Rick Bubba. Do the right thing, not the wrong thing, and address it today. All right, we're back on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, talking to Rich Wingo. Rich Wingo, uh, of course, uh, is a husband to Sherry Wingo, his sons, Jake and Luke, grandsons, yeah, Sage and, and Walker. And, uh, and of course, we talked about his times uh, at the University of Alabama as a player, uh, his interaction with Paul Bear Bryant. So now you probably get ready to go take on something easier, the NFL, after playing for Paul Bear Bryant and his crew at the University of Alabama. Uh, so you were drafted by the Green Bay Packers. Uh, How huge was that? How'd that feel? Well, it was, that was a weird thing. So, uh, not that you asked this, but I'm gonna tell it is that uh, I didn't anticipate ever playing pro football. Really? You know, back in that day, you didn't go to Alabama to to prepare you to play pro football. Coach Bryant, we all thought life ended mm-hmm. after. <laughs> Alabama right. football, right? And and never did you, I mean Ozzie Newsom, one of the greats. He was in my class. I never even re- thought about Ozzie playing pro football. Became a Hall of Famer. I mean, we just never talked about it. it Interesting. Was, oh yeah, different. We time. had enough in front of you to deal with. Com- <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was hurt most of my senior year. I got hit in the back at homecoming, herniated a disc, and so I didn't play much. And so I didn't. Uh, I, when I took the pads off in uh, New Orleans in that Sugar Bowl, I thought that was it for me. And uh, I got worked out a couple times by the Packers and Cowboys, and but uh, never ever thought I'd get a chance to play. And uh, 7 o'clock on the second day, after Marty Lyons and Barry Krause and Tony Nathan, you know, we were all celebrating the night before, happy for them. I'm sound asleep, 7 o'clock, the phone rings, and I answer it, and... They say on the other end, hold for Bart Starr <laughs> for Green Bay. I said, yeah, right. You mean you didn't have your agent taking care of all that? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, brother. <laughs> yeah, that's truth. I hung up. Did you? Oh, you're, you're being serious. You, you I thought mean, it was a joke. I thought, thought it was, it was I, I thought, I thought uh-uh. this is as bad as it gets, man. Well, that, the, the guys you that hung with, me. though, this was not above them doing. They well, you've it. met some of the guys oh, yes. that I've hung with. They would do it in a second. In a, in a second. I thought, that's about as cruel as you get. And I, I rolled, and the phone rang again, and I picked up, and it was uh, Coach John Myers, and he said, "This is Coach John Myers," and I'll never. And he said, "Do not hang up." <laughs> he said, "Coach Starr is coming to the phone," and then, uh, and they drafted me in the seventh round, and and it's because of Coach Bryant. I found out years later on a plane ride back from playing the 49ers, Coach Starr sat next to me. He said, "Did I ever tell you how we found out about you?" And I said, "No," and he said. If it wasn't for Coach Bryant, he said, I've got this guy that's been hurt most of senior year, but he can play for you. And he gave me my chance. How about that? How many people do you think he did that for? Tons. Yeah. Well, well so I want to ask you about this. We're going to get to the serious thing, but I want to talk about some of the lighthearted stuff that I know. So you played in the era of, and, and of course the Bears and the Packers were huge rivals. You had the well, I'm not going to say joy of trying to tackle Walter Payton. That's right. Which I'm sure was a thrill of How was that? Was he like? Was he fast? He looks just very strength, shifty. His quick. strength is what I think nobody ever gave him credit for. He, he the way he would hit you, yeah, trying to hit him. I, Walter, Walter was amazing, and I remember one time on a third and one. I remember this. 
did I hit him? It was a man. It was one of my best hits, and it was a blitz. I hit him about two or three yards in the backfield, and I thought, da, he's down. He was such an athlete that he took the hit and he kicked his legs out from behind him, and he landed on his hand like a deer. Like a like uh, and listen. He drugged me, and he almost got that first down. <laughs> he was like four or five yards. I mean, it was embarrassing. So, and, and you had this, and, and, but, but you, we were laughing about this just recently. There's no man, in my opinion, if you play on defense, that was more feared than John Hanna. Mm. And please tell Bubba about what it was like the first time you had to face John Hanna. So I played with Charlie right. Hanna and David Hanna. Mm-hmm. And – all I heard, and John had left the year before, so all I heard was these John Hanna stories. Right. And how his legs were as big as this room. Trees. And, and yes. Yeah. And he, you know, this and that, and he, what he did to people in practice. And, I mean, just, <laughs> I, mean, I would sit there with my mouth open. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's intimidating. And his brothers would talk about how he treated, right. you know. So I was like, man, this guy's a sick man. <laughs> so my rookie year at Green Bay, we're playing the New England Patriots, the first game on Monday night TV in Green Bay, Wisconsin. 1979 and uh of course we're playing the new england patriots but i'm in a 4-3 so i'm in the middle over the center lined up thinking i'm good i don't have to deal with john that much you know we've got a guy in a three technique planner you know oh, yeah. one technique three, you know all yeah people like rick you know you know get it, <laughs> get him off me and you know so i wasn't hey the week before we played the patriots our defensive end got hurt so we instead of uh, they felt better about bringing a linebacker in, so we went from a four-three to like um, an over and under, like a. So you li- end up lining up four-four. Di- You're in like a four-four directly yeah. over the guard, <laughs> and of all games, I'm lined up, and of course, which guard am I lined up over? John, John Hanna. And so I'm thinking, man, this is oh, this is going to be terrible. Oh, I don't, you know, Monday Night TV, Howard Cosell, remember him? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 And I'm Dandy Don. They're just going to. I'm just going to be an embarrassment to my family. You they're know, keep showing these terrible. highlights. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, so the first play of the game, I called the signal, and I remember getting out, and I remember John Hanna breaks the huddle. Guys, you can't embellish this. He, his helmet came down to like (laughs) half of his eyeballs, and he'd come out and he'd be looking down, so you couldn't see his eyeballs. And then he, he, just to add to that, he's making. (laughs) I'm thinking, oh my god, this is all true. You know, the guy, he's 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 like an animal. Oh, you didn't think he might cut you a little slack being an Alabama guy? (laughs) You know my name, you know. (laughs) Oh my goodness, he's making noises. Oh, making noises, snorting. And so I get five yards deep, and I don't have a clue what defense was was called. But, man, I just – when the ball was hiked, I mean, I just took off as hard and as fast as I could, and I drilled him. And I was like a flea. You know, he didn't even – he was blocking down on our nose guard. He wasn't even blocking me. He wasn't even blocking me. But I had had to, like, get it off me. (laughs) You had to know. I did. I had to hit. Did you impact him at all? No. And then I, I remember looking at my uh, coordinator on the sideline. He's got his hands up like, what are you doing? It's like, man, I just keep going. Call the next play. <laughs> so, so we got through it. But we won that game, too. Okay. 
So you're there at Green Bay, and so we met him one time in uh, in Tuscaloosa. He's a very big man. He was in a suit that day, though. He'd already moved into financial advisement. No, I, 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 <laughs> and I'll, he still was scary. I'll, <laughs> I'll never forget that Sports Illustrated cover because you know offensive linemen were are never on the cover yeah. of Sports mm-hmm. Illustrated, yeah. and it was just his face in that helmet, that terrorizing face, yeah. and the helmet looked like it was made onto his skin. Exactly, yeah. there was no space in exactly. there. Exactly, no. and, and it's no like light. The, the helmet and his head were one. There was no difference between the helmet. In the head, you remember that look, and I think it put the greatest offensive lineman of all yeah, time, or yeah, whatever yeah, the title yeah, was. And yeah. by the way, I, I will agree with that because you know nothing against the guys that zone block now, but I have people say, "Hey, is this person a pretty good offensive lineman?" I go, "I don't know," yeah. because that's not I'm not downing it. It just I there was a time you said, "Was this guy any good?" I'd say yes because I just saw him drive a guy, exactly, you know, and take over the neutral zone and destroy yeah. the opponent. And so I would say that's a fantastic offensive lineman. But now, with everybody just kind of doing that little step back and catching people, I don't know really who's good exactly. and who's not. Now, the, the outside tackles you can tell who are protecting the quarterback, those edge guys, you know, their feet and everything you can look at. But nobody drive blocks anymore, so mm-hmm. you can't really tell. All right, we'll come back and we'll talk about uh, what happened uh, in Rich Wingo's life while at Green Bay. And a record he holds today yeah, and for a record, the Packers. And a record he holds. We'll start with that when Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, continues. All right, so let's talk about ladder. When I, when I talk about ladder, you're like, what in the world's going on ladder? Here's what ladder does. Um, now, if, if you're out there right now and you think about the rising cost of living, and if it wasn't, it's about to. You know, we've had a change, mm-hmm. and, and things are going to change. And, and you think about student debt, and you think about buying a house, and, you know, you, do, you don't want to leave your kids um, or, or, you know, or your spouse with huge financial burdens. Uh, it makes sense why people get life insurance, especially term, which is uh, it, it, it's surprisingly uh, affordable. Uh, but, but uh, you know, why not pay a bit each month to protect the ones you love, right? So if you're asking yourself this question, uh, you need to choose a ladder because here's what they do. They make it so fast and easy to get covered. All you need is a few minutes on the phone or a laptop to apply. And then ladders, smart, they use these algorithms to work in real time so you find out instantly that you're approved. They're, they won't give you any hidden fees. You can cancel at any time. And since life insurance costs uh, more as we all age, uh, now's the time to cross that off the list. Every year that goes by, it's about to cost you more. But you're thinking, but I'm overwhelmed by the offers. I'm overwhelmed by what's out there. I don't know exactly what I need, or even if I qualify. That's where Ladder makes this so, so simple. Check out Ladder today to see if you're instantly approved. Go to ladderlife.com slash rickbubba. That's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash rickbubba. Ladderlife.com slash rickbubba and get this done. Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, we're sitting here with Rich Wingo. Rich Wingo. Did you know, Rich Wingo, <laughs> that you are the only person in Green Bay Packer history. Scoring history. Scoring sure. history to retire with one point yeah. credited to your play. That's amazing. You did, pre- you, did you even know that? No. <clears throat> Do you know how it happened? Do you remember Excuse it? me. Bubba, I knew, how, I knew that, but I didn't know how it happened. So you, today we finally told you how it happened. That's right. Because you say people keep bringing up this. this it's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. Well, so, so tell the story, and then I think we can, we can put the pieces together right. to figure out where you got one point. You're on the yeah. extra point field goal team. That's right. right. Okay. I'm on the wing. Uh, fire call, bad snap, playing the Bears in Chicago, and uh, I roll out into the end zone. And bad snap or something. Bad snap. Fire. Mm-hmm. Fire. You see? Mm-hmm. Oops. And uh, sorry, fire. That's what we call fire and radio. But see, he went back. You can go back in time. Fire. All right. So what happened? Uh, they threw me the ball, caught it, 
And, uh, and, and, and it, see, what you thought, because you forgot the rules in the NFL, the NFL during the time you played, mm-hmm. see, today that would be two points, but not when you played in the NFL. It was just one then. It was just one point. You just got the point they, you were the, trying. And they I adopted learned, the college rule later. Yep. And we learned that just today. Today. <laughs> so you have you been going around saying people are wrong about this? I didn't ever score. I, I don't know how I scored one no, point. No, what I remember – I don't – no, I don't go that far. I just – I remember that play because I thought that's the first time I got in the end zone in the pros, and I thought, I'm going to spike this ball. <laughs> Did you? No, because it was – I was probably on TV, and I thought if Coach Bryant just were happened to be watching this, he'd be ashamed of me. So he just – you can't get him off of you. Hand it to the referees, act like you've been there before, and like you're coming back, and go to the bench. And you did that even in the NFL. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And But I really – I wanted to spike it because that's also – you know, I thought, like, man, I'm never going to be back here. You know? Right, yeah. So dancing like Elmo Wright yeah. for the Chiefs was out, right? Yeah. Let me just give you – Billy from, White Shoes Johnson. From yeah. somebody else who played defense with a coach that coached me just like Bear Bryant in high school, my dad, uh, I decided the attitude was I would never be back, and I decided not to do what you did. <laughs> and uh, to You this, went for it. To, yeah. to this day, because of what happened to me, I still don't dance, and it's not because I'm bad. <laughs> okay? My, my dad broke me of the desire to dance. But anyway, so let's talk testimony. So – you, like a lot of us, uh, let's give credit to your family. You were raised in a Christian home. Uh, and, and we, you know, many times, and I was too, Bubba, you were, and we're thankful for that. But sometimes the, the, you start feeling like almost you become a Christian through osmosis or maybe, you know, you, you followed along with something that happens. It, it, it's tradition at church. But as you get out as a man, you start realizing pretty quick your, your behavior begins to, to show a different story. Uh, and we don't have to get into all the details of that. Just like I always say, look, trust me. All I'm saying, if God can forgive me of all the things I've done, forgiving you won't be any problem. I tell men that all the time. But so, you know, you, like a lot of us, uh, lived a life that we're not proud of. Uh, and any any semblance of a man of God had to left your house, left your life, and you're in the NFL now. And and uh, and and tell tell us what happened. So, from the world standpoint. I had the greatest life you could have. I mean, married to Sherry, my college sweetheart, and we've been married 41 years. Um, but uh, it's my fourth year in Green Bay and uh, starting middle linebacker and and should be living the dream and came to a place about halfway through the season where I just uh, said there's got to be more to life than this. And uh, I thought everything would be pro football, and football was my God. And... Uh, you know, I walked the aisle when I was 12 years old and uh, got baptized in the Baptist church and uh, checked the box, And but uh, I had no relationship with Jesus Christ. There was no evidence of my salvation. I was a fake. I was, a, you know, I, exactly who I was. I was a liar and living a lie. And uh, God stationed, <clears throat> Rick, I think this is why I, I know, you guys have such a heart for men's ministry because uh, men made the difference in my life. They never gave up on me. Yeah. And God stationed two guys in my life that had a real big impact in my life that I treated like crap before. Um, a guy named Steve Newman, team chaplain. Uh, Steve loved me despite myself. Um, and uh, John Anderson was my roommate. Andy was an All-American outside linebacker from Michigan. And Andy was my roommate for seven years when we would go on the road. And, and uh, he would always invite me to chapel service. Never gave up on me. 
And I would encourage all these men out there that are listening that they would never give up on that guy because that's who I was. And Andy would always invite me and I'd always say no. And the reason I'd say no and not show up for chapel when we'd be out of town was simply because I I knew I was a fake. I knew I was a liar. Why would I go be, you know, I didn't want to hear about it. I knew what was right and what was wrong, as most do. And uh, we were playing New York in New York. And I mean, I wasn't doing drugs and I wasn't cheating on my wife, but I I probably would have because I I was searching, right? There's Mm -hmm. tons of men that, when you search, and uh, and so I, I, Andy says, Rich, come to chapel with me. Uh, we're playing the Jets in New York, and and uh, he said, there's a famous baseball player, New York Yankee, that's going to uh, give his testimony. So I thought I'd go, and so I went, and uh, like I said, I was searching. And I remember uh, what this gentleman said. Uh, he talked about Judgment Day, and he talked about um, standing in a long line, and uh, it's his turn. He steps through this turnstile, and to his right is Jesus Christ seated. And then in the middle is God sitting on this huge throne, and just the majesty and just the presence of God, the awe of God. And then he said to his left is Satan seated. And he said when it was his turn, unlike other people's turns, he said this huge semi-truck backed up and a tractor-trailer. And I'm thinking, where's this guy going? You know, and Satan stands up and he opens the doors and, and it's packed full of computer printout paper and it's all connected and it's the smallest print you can imagine. And he said, and Satan pulls the end of it and he starts reading and he's reading every single sin that he said he has ever committed. He's reading it in front of Almighty God and he's reading it in front of Jesus Christ who gave his life on the cross for his shed blood for this sin, he said, and, and, and he said the, the shame, and he said Satan's loving this, man. He's going on and on and on and, and, uh, talk, and just the sins of the eyes, the, the, the mouth, the, the, the flesh, uh, the mind. It's just endless. And he said finally, he just, before God just interrupted Satan, and he said, what about it? And he said before he could even speak and say, Father, just cast me to hell because that's what I deserve. He said, uh, Jesus stood up, put his hand to the Father, and he put his hand to him, and he said, Father, it's okay. He's with me. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting there in that New York meeting room in that hotel thinking, Jesus Christ would never stand up for me. I was a fake. I mean, look, we know what we are. We're either real or we're not. And, man, I just, I can remember sitting there sort of bent over, you know, so nobody could see how red my face was. You know, how you sometimes you just don't feel like you can breathe. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where I was. Mm-hmm. Holy I was like, Spirit coming down on you. <clears throat> I was like, man, hurry up and end this because I got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to say I gave my life to the Lord right then, but I did. Pride, ego, man. And uh, for three weeks I ran. I ran as hard as I could run, and uh, I was miserable. God took the love of the game of football away from me. He took everything that was an idol or a god in my life, including myself, away. And so, I mean, I, I came to a place of all places. It's just so ironic that I'm, in, I'm alone, empty, in an empty Green Bay Packer locker room of all places. And uh, I gave my life. I just said, Lord, God, if you're real, I beg you to come into my life. And I mean, I was one of those people that was radically changed, um, 
radically changed. My filthy mouth, my, my filthy mind. I mean, I'm still being sanctified and I'm still progress. And, but, you know, I went from, you know, and Rick, I use it in my testimony that I went from being satisfied and content to being sold out committed. And, uh, and so I gave my life to the Lord. Ironically, you know, Sherry and I were baptized uh, six months later in like one of the only Baptist churches in Green Bay, Wisconsin, <laughs> <You're right. laughs> together, and it was awesome. Well, and there's a lot of people that are listening and watching this now that have a, a similar story. And, and uh, you know, the, what you've done with your life since then has is, is impacted us. It's impacted me greatly. Uh, I'm so thankful that God has placed you in our lives and in my life specifically. So we've, we're doing some work together with themanchurch.com, and, and we just finished um, the last 40-day devotional. Uh, we have a How to Be a Man series, the different things to help you, and that's the question we're asking, how am I supposed to be a man? Yeah. So the first one was the pursuit of Christ-centered masculinity. The second one was comparing, uh, you went with a perfect example. Then the second, we go to very flawed examples of, of, of men who God used who had all kinds of issues and then the question, you know, Jesus said to go to make disciples. He didn't say just go make converts. He said mm. go make disciples. And, um, and so this last one that we just finished, and it's out now at themanchurch.com, Rich Wingo is part of, uh, discovering what it means to be a disciple. And this time we went out and said let's gather eight different men and, and everybody take a topic. And uh, Rich Wingo uh, was assigned the topic of surrender. Mm. And so there's five days that Rich laid out. And I want to tell you that I, I knew that you could speak and I knew you had a great story. Um, you know, I, I don't, I'm always terrified when somebody tells me to write something because my wife has that gift. I don't. Uh, and, you know, and I, I will tell you, you did an incredible job because I thought, mm-hmm. you know, you and I are kind of similar in that way. I know what I want to say, but it's hard to write down what I want to say, but it really came off very powerful. And uh, so what you did and added to this uh, is powerful. And I would encourage um, Every man to, and all these guys did a good job. Don't misunderstand me, but uh, it was special to have you part of this. Thank you. And, uh, and the stuff that, that uh, we continue to do. Um, so you, you, we don't have a lot of time left, but if, if there was one thing you wanted to tell people watching this right now uh, that we haven't talked about, um, I know that you spent time uh, in politics. We don't really have time to do much on that uh, in, um, in, in Alabama. Uh, but but that too has been something that you have been fighting the fight for the unborn. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I never. I politics is something that I don't ever talk about, and um, I believe that it gave me an opportunity to serve my country. Is the way I look at it. I never got a chance to put the uniform on, but uh, and so I believe in a two term limit, and so I'm. This will be my last two years, and and trying to make as big a difference as you possibly And I encourage Rick and Bubba, I encourage, and I know you guys do too, I encourage, hey, put your name on a ballot. Put it in God's hands. And if it's meant to be, it'll be. And uh, you can make a difference, I promise you. We desperately need good people um, in all levels of government. And so I just encourage people. Um, we got like two minutes. Could you tell Bubba what happened with you and Eric Dickerson and, 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 and how God took away the – this is a hilarious story. We'll end with this one. <laughs> so uh, I became I'm, – I'm saved. It's one of the weirdest examples yeah. of sanctification yeah. I've yeah. ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. saved. I'm saved. I just got saved, Bubba. Right. And we're playing the Los Angeles Rams. You remember when they were – Oh, yeah. yeah. So, oh, yeah. And Eric Dickerson, 29, and on a wheel route – um, 
He, I'll never, I can see it, and he, I bite, I bite hard. I mean, they fake the fullback dive, you know, boom, I step up there. He's not your guy, is he? Listen, <laughs> and and then all of a sudden, I see Dickerson break outside the outside of the tackle, and I have got the first back out of the backfield, um, and wherever and whoever it is, well, it's Eric Dickerson, and he's on a wheel route, and I bite so hard on the run that I turn, and as I turn, he's like – 10 yards already ahead of me and all he they had to do is just throw the ball because the it was completely open and uh, Vince Ferragamo was the quarterback and Vince never saw him and as I'm turning I uh, say a curse word true story and as I'm running God said to me as clear as clear could be you'll never curse again as you're chasing Eric Dickerson as I'm chasing number 29 down the field I'm surprised you had wind to say anything (laughs) And I did, and 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 that's what I. Re- I'm, and that, they never threw him the ball, thank goodness. But uh, they should have. But uh, that's what I remember. But people that. who talk about God, you know, saying things to you at different times—it's crazy. What was it? You're running inside your uniform yeah. for Green Bay after Eric Dickerson and God saying, <laughs> and he's digging, right? Yeah, and, you, you yeah. may remember he was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, he was. Oh, he, <laughs> was, he was about twenty yards by the time <laughs> yeah. I got. Yeah. Yeah. And God says we're not going to talk like that anymore. That's right. Wow, what a weird moment. But, uh, but effective. Well, thank you for how you live um, yeah. uh, the life. Thanks for all you do. Really. Yeah, and thanks. Uh, you guys are great. Yeah. Well, thanks for being with us, too. And thanks for all of you that have joined us uh, for this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast.